Hello and welcome back to another episode of Doom to Bloom podcast. As always, we're talking about all things mental health, trauma and addiction and struggle related. And in saying that, we have a special guest today, Allison, who's going to share her journey for her trauma struggles and her mental health struggles along the way. And just before we introduce Allison, I just wanted to give a bit of a trigger warning, um, just as it relates to trauma. She, in, in seeing Allison's kind of summary of the episode, it looks like there's a lot of trauma. So we just wanted to give a bit of a heads up that this may be triggering to some. So please listen with discretion if that may affect you in any way. And otherwise, hello, Allison. Hi, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being a guest. And I always, a couple things, I always like to ask where my guest is coming from, just out of curiosity and the sheer enjoyment of knowing the world is so big, but technology brings us all together. Yeah, so I am just north of Atlanta, Georgia. You can probably tell by my accent a little bit that I'm in the South. I actually can't. Oh, good. Good. That's great. <laughs> I mean, that's a bummer for me because I love the Southern accents, but that's okay. <laughs> and then the other part that I always like to mention to my guests prior to sharing the story is I just wanted to thank you, Allison, for being a guest and for continuing the conversation of mental health and trauma and struggles and just being very open and vulnerable to share that because I know that's, in my opinion, anyways, a big starting point for the conversation to continue. So I wanted to thank you before you even mentioned your story. You're welcome. And, you know, um, I just want to say to whoever's listening that, you know, sharing our stories, it's, it really helps us understand that we're not alone. Um, and so even though it may be a little bit triggering, I just want you to know that my story has an amazingly happy ending. <laughs> and so if you're struggling right now, um, just try to breathe a little bit through anything that might trigger you because I want you to really understand that there is a rainbow at the end of your storm. Amazing. And I love that little analogy. We all love a little rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> With that being said, Allison. We are ready to hear your story whenever you are ready to share with us. Yeah, so I grew up in a um, extremely abusive household. Um, my mother uh, is uh, diagnosed from from my therapist anyway, um, narcissist, and she derived a lot of pleasure from our suffering. And so um, it was really always just a lot of walking on eggshells and not knowing um, from one day to the next if she was going to, you know, beat us or take all the, all the food out of the refrigerator, um, you know, not buy our school supplies. Um, it just, every single day, it seemed like there was just something, no matter how small, um, to just prove to my siblings and myself that we weren't wanted and that she um, really just preferred to see us in pain than in pleasure. And so my whole goal um, 
was to get the hell out of there. And so when I turned, um, you know, 18, I started living um, on friends' couches and on their floor and just kind of bouncing around from place to place, um, waiting tables and um, going to school, going to college, and just really um, in some pretty serious survival mode. And I met someone. Um, I moved in with him very quickly, very quickly after that. We were engaged very quickly after that. Um, I realized that I was pregnant and initially everything was great. He was happy. And then we made the mistake of telling his parents. And when we told his parents, his father threw his checkbook at me and told me, to write myself a check um, to have an abortion. And I think it's really important um, to just pause here for a moment and just say that um, I believe that women should have choices over their body. Um, I just want to get that out there. So um, I, though, was not feeling like I wanted to have an abortion because I was in love with the baby's father. And so I went to the abortion clinic um, trying to please everyone. And when I was on the abortion table, I couldn't go through with it. Um, and I got off the table. I went home. I lied to my fiance, which was horrible, and told him that I'd had the abortion. And then um, when morning sickness kicked in, he realized, you know, that I was still pregnant. And I think that if I had just gone home and told him the truth that I wasn't able to go through with it, um, I think that we probably would have been able to work through the situation. But I think because I lied to him about something that was so big and with all the pressure of his father, um, when I got home from campus that night, after I had told him that I was still pregnant, um, he and his father had changed the locks on the house. They locked me out. And I called my mother from a payphone, um, And of course, I didn't tell her that I was pregnant, but she was very happy that my relationship had ended because that meant that I had failed once again. Um, and so she welcomed me to come back home. And I was trying my best to hide my pregnancy from her, but I couldn't. And then, um, of course, this is how narcissists work. Um, if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast, um, they, they want to repeat other people's hurtful behavior. So she knew that I had been locked out um, at the house that they had changed the locks. And so when she found out that I was pregnant, she wrote me a check for an abortion. And when I told her that I was not going to have it, um, she also changed the locks on the house. And so I ultimately ended up being homeless, pregnant and living in my car. So 
that is really where I'll just pause with the story because um, I'm sure that you have questions and I'm sure your listeners are probably like, okay, Allison, we need a breath now. So, so I guess the first question that comes to mind for those that may not know, what is narcissism? Narcissism is it's a mental um, disorder and it is and it's when a person has no self-esteem, no self-worth, and a crippling amount of fear. Um, and they have to be in absolute control of every situation, every person, and their fear does not allow them to experience love on, excuse me, on any level whatsoever. And so is that the same as, I think it's um, narcissistic personality, just relatively the same? They are the same. Yeah. Okay. And I guess maybe to jump forward a little bit, um, I did have a podcast guest, the Mama Jack podcast, who noted that you know, trauma obviously comes and starts in the childhood. And then if we don't work through it, it just continues into the adulthood. And basically the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act is all based on the trauma that we experienced. But right. she she mentioned that her perspective anyway, and I found it fascinating, was that she forgave her parents for the trauma that was caused, noting that they did the best they could with what they had and that they also had their own traumas that they were maybe not working through at that point, but living with, do you, kind of, do you resonate with that or is, do you have a different Absolutely. perspective? Yeah. And I mean, I, the thing is, is that, you know, I love my parents. They're my parents. Um, they, they brought me into the world. Um, and I, I totally 10,000% believe that they did the absolute best that they could. Um, but that doesn't mean that you have to go and have a relationship with them. And for me, um, you know, my, my father is deceased. Um, my, my mother is not, she's still living, but for me going back into a relationship with her on any level whatsoever, even if it's just talking about the weather, um, I am setting myself up to be abused. And that's something that I'm no longer available for. I love that energy. And I love the way that you said that. I was actually going to ask kind of along the lines, you more or less already answered it, but I was going to ask um, just from the previous guest that was talking about this, she mentioned, you know, she forgave her parents and that they've actually had an open conversation about the trauma that was caused and kind of like an understanding. So from what I'm gathering, you don't speak with your mother. Um, I don't. And I'm, I'm just laughing out loud because um, I cannot even tell you how many loving approaches I have attempted over the years to you know, not in a blaming or a shaming way or anything, just in a like, mom, you know, can we sit down and please talk about this? And the response that I've always received from her is, 
you made your bed and you, you know, and you laid in it and I don't know what you want from me. I don't, I don't know what you need from me. You, you made horrible decisions, Allison. Like, why are you trying to blame me for the horrible decisions that you made? And so it just, and that is a true narcissist. Like they refuse to take any responsibility at all for any of their behaviors or choices or anything. It's always someone else's fault. And do you think she knows that she is a narcissist or do you like, do you think she's aware of any of that? I think that she is aware that she's hurtful. But doesn't maybe know or care to change or work on that? No, she hasn't. And that's another, that's another characteristic of a true narcissist is that they don't seek therapy because there's nothing wrong with them. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess alongside that conversation, so going back to 19 year old Allison, what happens next in your story? Um, what happens next is that, um, believe it or not, I was still going to class every day. Um, I was living in my car on campus in a parking garage. And um, after the first week, my car had run out of gas. I did not have any money. Um, I didn't have a way to buy any food or by anything. I was, um, wearing the same clothes every single day. Um, I was taking a shower in the school gym locker room. Um, but I wasn't washing my clothes. And so I was starting to smell my clothes were starting to smell and, um, you know, I was pregnant so I had to, you know, I was, I was starving like all the time. Um, I found myself eating out of the garbage can. Um, I was stealing um, towels out of the locker room to pile on myself in my car because it was freezing cold. Um, just really doing things way out of, my character to survive. And thankfully, um, a substitute teacher professor came into, um, to my wife, to, to my life and to my world. Um, and I think that he probably was the only person in that entire campus that realized that there was something going on with me. Um, and I would study in the library and, and he would come and sit down and have like little conversations with me. And then one night he slid me a copy of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And he said, you know, I, I think that this would really help you to, to read this. And I tell this to everyone um, when I'm speaking everywhere <laughs> that if I had not been homeless um, and living in my car, there's no way that I ever would have read that book. Um, But I really didn't have anything to lose. And I I had a lot of time on my hands. And so 
I started reading the book and really Jacqueline, the whole concept of that book is that your mind is really the only thing that you have at the end of the day. Um, and that if you think horrible thoughts um, about yourself, about the future, about the people around you, that you're going to have a horrible life. Um, but if you can find some common ground inside of you, some belief inside of you um, that you're better than your circumstances and that there is better for you, um, then you can build a life that becomes something that you want to live. And that, and that's what 19 year old Allison did. I, I started using my mind, um, to build a better life for myself. And how did you do that exactly when your situation was so dark and horrible? I would sit in my car at night and um, I just started picturing myself, visualizing myself fed with what I was calling at the time clean food, um, you know, warm, surrounded by people who actually gave a shit about me, who cared about my pregnancy, um, who saw me as a human being and not some tool for their own, you know, safety or happiness or whatever. And, um, but I will tell you that at the same time, I was, I was starting to lose hope. And one particular night, um, the last night that I was in my car, I had gone through the whole visualization process and I got finished with it. And then about 10 minutes later, um, I just started sobbing and I had already made a decision um, a week before that, that I was going to walk up to the top of the parking garage that was um, seven stories and that I was going to jump off. I'd already made that decision. It was just um, for me, it was just a matter of when I had just reached the end of my rope and couldn't take anymore. And, and it was that night. Um, and I I was just sobbing and I just said, you know, God, I can't, I can't take it anymore. Um, you know, this is the night, this is the night I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get out of this car and I'm going to, I'm just going to go to the top and I'm just going to jump off. And I heard this voice in my head and it said, just, just go to sleep, Allison, just, just lie here for a little bit longer. And I, ended up kind of drifting into a little bit of a sleep and there was a knock on my window and it was the same professor who had been watching me and there was a freeze warning in Atlanta that night and his wife had urged him to go back to the garage and find me and bring me to their house and that's exactly what he did. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so what, what happened after he welcomed you into their home? So, you know, we, we knew, like I knew from the very beginning, um, he had told me on the way to the house that, you know, it wasn't, 
um, by any stretch of the uh, of the imagination, like a permanent solution. Um, and, you know, he was like, we just need to figure out something um, and just help you get, you know, back on your feet and some help. And so within 24 hours of staying with them, um, I pretty much decided that I needed to place my child for adoption um, because, you know, at that point I was almost five months pregnant and there was just, there was absolutely no way that I was going to be able to pull everything together in four months and, and be able to, um, you know, to do everything that I needed to do to, to be an amazing mom to this baby. And so I went through the process. Um, I placed my son for adoption. There are so many miracles in in that walk and in that journey, um, I tell all about them in my book, The Spiritual Journey. The partner one talks about um, if if someone wants to, to grab that off of Amazon and read it, because they were just so using the tools of visualization. And I did it every single day and I still do in my life. Um, I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't visualize my future. Um The, the process of going through all of that, um, I woke up 24 years later to a voice in my head um, telling me that it was time to search for my son. Now, we had a closed adoption, meaning that I, I knew absolutely nothing about him and he knew absolutely nothing about me. And so the only way that we were going to be able to find each other was for both of us to go through the adoption agency that had worked with me when I gave birth to him. So I called the agency the next morning and I told them, you know, that I wanted to start my search for him. And they said, um, you know, that's fine. And they gave me all the steps to take, but Jacqueline, they told me that it was going to take up to 10 years, that it could take 10 years for me to have any contact with him whatsoever. And I said, okay, that, you know, that's fine. 10 years is 10 years. And so, um, I filled out the paperwork and I faxed it in the next morning. And at 12 o'clock that afternoon, my phone rang and it was the adoption agency. And the woman was like, Allison, are you sitting down? And, and at first I was really scared because she had told me the day before that, the very first um, check that they made was through a database to see if, um, you know, people are deceased. And so she's like, you know, if your son has died, um, then you'll hear from us pretty quickly. And so I was like, oh, my God, don't tell me that he's dead. Like, I, you know, I, I can't take that. And she was like, no, actually, we've all been crying all morning. And I was like, I, I don't understand. And she said, you both faxed your paperwork in at the exact same time. I have goosebumps. <laughs> I know. We faxed our paperwork in three and a half minutes apart. Wow. So it was the universe was screaming for you guys to be connected. Yes. And that and it's just the power of visualization and the power of knowing 
before you know. And so you had mentioned, I think you said 24 years had passed before you woke up one morning and wanted to search for him. How old were you at this point? Let's see, that would have made me 44. Okay. And so he, he was searching for you. Yes. He wanted me to be at his wedding. And I was. Wow. And so what was, what was the process, I guess, for kind of connecting, meeting for the first time? What did all of that look like? We were standing in front of each other four days later. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, once, I mean, she was like, they, they contacted me and they contacted him at the same time. Yeah. They, one person was talking to me. Another person was talking to him at the exact same time. And he was, they were asking him, you know, telling him what happened, which he was crying and blown away. And they, you know, they said, you know, do you, how soon do you want to meet? And he was like, you know, today, tomorrow. And I was saying the same thing. Like I'm free today. I'll, I'll make myself available tomorrow. And so I think it was on a Tuesday um, when we got the information that we had faxed our paperwork in at the same time. And we were standing in front of each other that Friday. Wow. At and the adoption agency where I had signed all the, the like where it all began. We, we met right back in the, in the very same building. It was very hard for me, um, honestly, to, whew, it still makes me emotional to walk, um, back through those doors, you know, but just knowing that I was walking through those doors to see him, you know, made it everything. And now where were you? Obviously you had planned to meet him at this point, but where were you kind of in your healing journey or trauma journey or just kind of life, I guess, at that point? Um, yeah, it's, you know, one of the beautiful gifts um, that the adoption agency provided was that um, they had a requirement that I had to see um, in my very sarcastic, um, <laughs> rebellious, angry 19-year-old perspective, a shrink. Um, but she was just a ge very gentle therapist. Um, her name was Sally. She is on the other side now. Um, but she changed my life. Sally, the very first time that I ever met with her, um, she really made me feel seen and heard probably for the very first time in my life. And I continued therapy with her for a decade after placing my son for adoption. Um, I, and I stood at her funeral um, and gave her so much thanks because I cannot express enough the, the healing that comes from being seen and heard. It, it's just, and this is why, you know, my coaching programs now are based around helping other people be seen and heard because it's, it's not only healing for the people who are hearing the story um, 
but it, it is tremendously healing to finally be able to share your story and not be judged for the words that you're saying to just really be accepted. And that is the beautiful gift that she gave me. Were you very, I guess, skeptical might be the right word prior to starting all of the therapy sessions? Or do you think you were at a place when they kind of made that mandatory to actually start that? Um, I didn't have a choice. Um, if I hadn't gone to therapy, then I would, then I was not going to be able to utilize their services to place my son. Um, so the, the first few sessions, I was very sarcastic with her and, um, you know, I was, um, I was like picking up pencils and smoking fake cigarettes and like, I was a handful. I'm not going to lie. Um, trauma does that though. Yeah, it does. And, you know, mocking her and just kind of, um, you know, I was pacing around her office and I was just, I was just being an asshole and, but she stayed steady. She never moved too far to the left or too far to the right. And she had this incredible way of putting me in my place without scolding me, um, which is called a boundary. (laughs) Um, And the more boundaries she set with me without screaming, yelling, raising her voice, um, calling me a bitch or things that my other, you know, that my mother constantly, um, and along with other names, my mother constantly called me with Sally, not doing any of that type of behavior, but just really showing me that she knew who she was and that I was not going to be allowed to stomp all over that. Um, I felt safe. And would you say that was probably the first time that you had felt safe with somebody? Ever. Ever. That's the first time I'd ever felt safe in my entire life. And I guess maybe to take a couple steps back, do you trying to figure out how to word this in my head? It sounds great, but like words are hard sometimes. Um, I guess, do you, do you ever regret any part of the adoption journey and like the support from Sally? No. And, and I didn't regret it then either. Okay. I feel it was like hard, you know, it was hard. I mean, it ripped my soul out of my body. Um, you know, they had to sedate me um, while, you know, when I was leaving the hospital, I was, I mean, it, it, there was a part of it that, I, I mean, I really, I didn't think that I was going to be able to survive. I mean, there's nothing worse even when it's your choice there is nothing in my in my opinion there's nothing worse than losing a child um and i mean it it killed me um to walk out of that hospital without him you know in my arms it it ripped me to shreds um but i also at the very same time knew that it was the right decision. I knew that it was the right decision for him. I knew it was the right decision for me. 
Um, and I, I had had so many God moments, um, and, and even in, during my hospital stay, um, that I didn't have any doubt, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It definitely does. And so, sorry, I'm jumping kind of all over the place. This is how my brain works. <laughs> but to jump back into the day that you met your son and kind of moving forward up until maybe now, what did the rest of that look like for you? Um, he and I have a very... Um, unique relationship it we we are facebook friends um we uh, we talk you know via text every now and then um you know some people in my my family they have a very difficult time understanding you know why um he and i don't just you know see each other all the time and things like that but what people have to understand is that I'm not his mom. He has a mom. Mm -hmm. I'm his birth mother. And there's a whole different energy that comes with that. Um, We have a tremendous amount of love for one another. Um, But I would never in a million years ever try to take the place of, of her. Um, and, and I couldn't even if I wanted to. Um, and so she loves me. I love her tremendously. Um, we both love him. And it's a very functional triangle. And we all respect our place on that triangle. And was that kind of smooth in in the sense of those relationships or did it take a lot of work to get the triangle to be functional no it was pretty instantaneous um and I think that's because his his mother also placed a child for adoption um before she had or not had but before she became my son's mother um she had gone through the adoption process as a teenager as well it's one of the reasons that I chose her from all of the profiles to um, not, it's not, it's not one of the reasons, it's the reason <laughs> that I chose her to, to raise him um, and her husband um, is because, you know, I knew that she got it and understood my journey um, along the way. So when she and I met, um, it was, there was just an instant knowing and an instant love that is very hard to put into words. Um, just, just a connection that you kind of had to experience the same thing to be able to understand. Exactly. Yeah. And so maybe to jump forward again, because this is what I do. What, what does the present day look like for you in terms of your healing journey your um 
kind of your ongoing struggle with the trauma from childhood. Where are you at with all of that? I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a really good place. Um, I know who I am. Um, I know who I'm not. And, you know, it's, it's been a journey. (laughs) Um, But I, I, I am in a place where um, I wake up every single day giving thanks to God um, for, for all of it. I'm very thankful for my journey in my life. And I believe you mentioned a book. I think there's a couple books, right? There are, but the, the book that, um, that really dives into this particular story, um, it is the spiritual journey, the part no one talks about, and it's on Amazon. Um, it's a self-help book, meaning that at the end of every single chapter, there are journal prompts and things for people to think about because whether you've placed a child for adoption or gone through child abuse or any of the things, I think that we all can see each other um, in stories. And so I really wanted it to be an interactive book where people can start to tackle some of their own healing. And now for those that may want to purchase this book, um, I guess maybe I'm asking for myself more so, but do people need to be at a certain place maybe in their healing journey to be able to kind of align with your message and your story in that spiritual journey? Or do you think it's beneficial for anybody along their whatever path or whatever part of their healing journey they're on? Well, I actually tested that out. Um, (laughs) So um, I, before I ever um, put the book out into the world, I gave it to um, someone that has a lot of trauma that hasn't started therapy yet. And I gave it to someone who's had a lot of therapy and I asked them both for their um, very honest feedback. And they both wrote back to me saying that the book changed their life. Wow. So I wasn't expecting that, (laughs) but that's, that's the message I got back from both of them. So it, it's beneficial for anybody anywhere at any time. Yes. That's incredible. And can you talk to us since we're on the topic of books about your other ones? Yes. So um, I bring people together to do a book collaboration that um, is called Behind the Power. And this will be our third year um, is, you know, putting the book out into the world. And Behind the Power is a compilation of stories of different uh, men and women Um, all around the world, talking about uh, different things that they've been through from being um, fired from a job that they thought that they were doing very well in to 
um, a spouse being diagnosed with a serious illness to um, being older in life and never having found love. Um, it's just every walk of life is in behind the power. And it's also self-help. Um, the format is the exact same way at the end of every chapter. There are, um, you know, tips and um, tricks and tools and all kinds of things to that people can adopt for themselves to um, heal a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, all of the behind the power books are also on Amazon. And again, at any point of your healing journey, um, or even if you're just wanting to read a really good, like chicken soup for the soul type of book, um, I, I strongly encourage you to pick a copy of those up as well. And is that, so, so then if I'm understanding correctly, there's two behind the powers. There are, yes, there's two behind the power books. Yes. And are you currently possibly working on any more? Um, anything? You know what? Um, my daughter's standing here and she held up the number. There are actually three behind the power books. Sorry. Um, and we're working on the fourth right now, um, which will be out in October. And then in, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I'm working on my next personal book that is called um, Becoming the Boss of Your Brain. Do we do we get a little bit of insider scoop or do we need to wait until it's out? The insider scoop is that relationship with yourself um, is the most difficult relationship that you'll ever have, but also the most rewarding. Um, and most people don't have a relationship with themselves. They think they do, but they don't really have a relationship with themselves. What they're doing is they're surviving. Does that kind of go into, I forget who made the quote, but I saw it on social media not too long ago, actually. And it was something to the effect of, like getting to know yourself when you're actually alone and enjoying your company and knowing who you truly are because who you are when you're alone with, you know, no background noise, no TV, no people, physically just yourself. Is that kind of the same, same wavelength, I guess? Yeah, it's a lot. It's very much along the same lines. That sounds awesome. And so how long does it typically take for you to write a book? About a year. So we can expect that one next year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, next year. That's incredible. And I know we briefly talked about your books, but is there anywhere that any of the listeners can find you on, you know, websites or any social media platforms or anywhere that you are? Yeah, if you go to um, my website, which is a l l y s o n r o b e r t s dot com, allisonroberts dot com, um, if you scroll all the way down to the very bottom of my website, all of my social links are there. Um, but I have a beautiful meditation um, 
that really walks people through starting to fall in love with themselves. And um, if you're if you're really feeling like there's something missing that's not quite right, I would love for you to go to my website and just download my free gift and listen to it as much as you possibly can. I am actually on your website right now. <laughs> <laughs> just because I can. And out of curiosity, for your free gift, did you know that you have to enter a password for that? No. So I just clicked a special gift and it comes up saying guest area, please enter the password below. And then obviously there's a space for a password. That must have just happened. That's so funny that we're talking about this. Um, so I did some updates to my website day before yesterday. And um, that is very interesting. Fun fact for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I will get that fixed immediately. Thank you for letting me know. Absolutely. And I guess, Allison, is there any words of, you know, wisdom or encouragement or advice or just any thoughts that you feel would be beneficial to anybody that may be, you know, in various spaces or spots in their healing journey, just starting kind of in the middle, feeling like they're more healed than not, um, kind of going through any of the trials that you had to go through more in your teenage years? Final words. Um, I feel like it's kind of a loaded question, right? <laughs> yeah, but, but it's a good question. Um, I know it sounds super cliche, but I, this is what I'm feeling um, inspired to say because I, I usually with questions like this, I just follow my inspiration. So here's what I'm, here's what I'm being guided to say to you. Your past um, it needs to be dealt with, but it needs to be dealt with in a different way than you've been dealing with it right now. So you don't have to relive it to heal it. And you are worth the healing process. Um, and yes, it may be painful, um, but that pain is going to be very temporary in comparison to the pain that you're going to carry around the rest of your life if you decide not to heal. So that's my, that's my final closing thought. That's very deep and insightful. <laughs> so I appreciate those, those words of wisdom there. And Allison, but just before we close off, I again wanted to thank you for sharing your story and, you know, your struggles, the reality of, life for some people and just overall thank you for being you and for sharing your story and being a voice for inspiration for those that you know are either kind of struggling definitely struggling or somewhere along their healing journey wherever they may be I wanted to thank you on behalf of myself and on behalf of them thank you thank you for having me Absolutely. And thank you for being a guest. 
And for those that are listening, we are sending you lots of love and lots of light.